Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture today comes from Matthew 15, verses 10 through 11. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So I'll take that. Thank you very much. This fresh face is the artist formerly known as Brittany Jenkins, but now, you guys, fresh off of a big wedding ceremony, this is Brittany, and that's Andy Isaacs. Let's give them a hand. So good. Thank you very much. I told you before, my my heart is full I think somewhat heavy too. Uh, So if you don't mind, I'd like to start a little differently today. I would like to give us a prayer to pray. It's a simple, it's a simple prayer. But it is a time-honored, many millennia old prayer. It goes like this. Lord, have mercy. I'll start it. And then you finish it however you see fit. Lord, have mercy on. I'm going to guide a little bit of that too. Why don't don't we start it this way? Let this first part of your prayer be about whatever it is that you dragged into the sanctuary today. What, What problem, what tragedy, what heartache did you bring in with you today? Let's start there. You ready? Lord, have mercy. Let's pray now for somebody, somebody that you love dearly. You love this person so hard it hurts. I'm going to say, Lord, have mercy again. And then you carry on and you pray that prayer, asking God to be merciful, begging, pleading for God's mercy on this one that will come to your mind and heart now. Are you ready? Lord, have mercy.
This last one will be the toughest one. I'm going to say, Lord, have mercy. And I want you to pray for your enemies, your opposites, your irritants. And if you want to, just name them. God probably knows who you're talking about anyway. But name them in your prayer. Are you ready? Lord, have mercy. God, may we never forget in the exercise of our Christianity, as we move, as we speak, as we post, may we never forget that we are meant to be an extension of your mercy. But help us, God, to be an extension of your mercy. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. I mean, yeah, because this is the season that we're in, right? In so many ways, this is the season that we're in. I mean, technically speaking, we are here in the season of Pentecost, which means that we're in a season of training. We are spending these months, it's about six months out of the year, that the people of God are trained to be the people of God, which means that we are trained over the course of that six months or so to be an extension of the character and nature of God. Everybody with me there? If this work works, if this work works, then by the time we hit Advent, by the time we hit Advent, and it'll be cooler, thank the Lord, right? But by the time we hit Advent, we will be better at being the extension of the character and nature of God, better then than we are today. And a lot of us need that, right? And all God's people said, Amen. including your pastor, including your pastor. So we are training, and we've had some fun with this. This is our, our sermon series, The Academy. It's a part of our Super Summer series. Where I've been trying to talk to you about how it is that, that superheroes get trained to be superheroes. We said last week, what if superheroes were trained to wage peace as opposed to wage conflict and win conflict? And so this week, as you can probably guess, we have to talk about the League of Super Pets. Anybody seen this one? Anybody seen this movie? Yeah. Let me, let me give you a quick synopsis. No, actually, let me show you a quick preview. Ready? Here it comes. So, you are a dog. I am the Batman. I'm not really great with animals. Yeah, I'm not really great with people. Probably because of my traumatic puppyhood. As a child, my family was taken from me. As a puppy, I was taken from my family. So I steal myself. My emotions. Always a check. No one ever getting past my impenetrable defenses. Ah, what the heck? <laughs> that can't be sanitary. Every day, me and Suits hang out. You literally worship the ground that dude walks on. Technically, he flies. Batman works alone, except for Robin. And Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, my IT crew, whoever Morgan Freeman played. What do I have here? <gasps> Squeezy Bruce! Squeezy what? That better be a licensed toy or I will freak out. 
I don't know if you know, but let me give you a little thumbnail sketch of what happens. So all of these super pets, right, they are the pets of these superheroes, and the superheroes all get kidnapped. And so the pets are left to kind of gather up and try to figure out how they can rescue their uh, human heroes. In this story, the dogs are the heroes. In the story I'm about to tell you, the dogs don't look like they're going to be the heroes. In fact, it's a term of derision, you dogs. But the dogs, at least in this story, end up being heroic. Now, I need to warn you for what's about to happen, because it's going to be very controversial. I'm about to read scripture. And one of the most dangerous things you can ever do, I'm telling you, listen to me, and and I'm so grateful that we have somebody in Jason Smith who has a class that I highly recommend that you take, and if you've already taken it, I highly recommend you take it again. It's called Disciple, and here's what happened. Jason dares to give you an opportunity to read this very dangerous Bible, and y'all, it's rough, and it's so good. Harder than you think and better than you think. And today's passage is harder and better than you think. Because Jesus is going to mess things up for a minute here. Now, you're familiar with this verse in Luke chapter 2 that goes something like this. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's put that into modern vernacular. Jesus got bigger and smarter. So there was a time when Jesus didn't know some things, let's say at like age eight, that he would know at age 18, and he would know even more at 28, and he would know even more at 33, right? Is Jesus perfect? I would say something like this. If Jesus isn't growing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man, then Jesus is not perfect. Because the person, and it might be you, who believes that he or she has arrived and no longer has need to grow and learn and understand, you ain't perfect. But Jesus, fully God and fully you, fully me, grew in wisdom and stature favor with God and man, and I think you can see it in one text. But let me give you a little context. This, this whole ugly situation started with an argument that Jesus was, happen, that was having with the Pharisees, starting with chapter uh, 15, verse 1. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, from HQ, and said, listen, we've got this rule. We have this rule, and it goes something like this. You've got to wash your hands in a very particular way before you eat because we are a purity people. Now, some more background information. This is not ancient classic Judaism. This is Pharisaical Judaism. They kind of invented this particular rule, and they really, really emphasized it, so much so that they thought if you weren't going to play by their fairly recently constructed rules, then you were out. Then you were out. Jesus answered them, oh yeah? 
Why do you break one of the ancient commandments of God for the sake of your particular tradition? Because God said, honor your father and mother, and you aren't doing that. In fact, what you'll say is, I'm sorry, mom and dad, I would have financially supported you, but I think I'm going to give it over here to support my religious movement and leave you hung out to dry. Jesus saying, you have chosen your own recently established tradition, and you have turned your back on the ancient law to take care of your mom and dad, you guys are the ones who have messed this up. In fact, Jesus says here, you hypocrites. That's harsh, Jesus. You know what hypocrites are? People who kind of give you the veneer of the right thing, but their hearts aren't in the right place. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right about you when he said, oh man, everybody hear this? as if you live in 2023. Ready? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrine. These rules, these hand-washing rules, Jesus said, do not rise to the level of doctrine but you are treating them as if they are doctrine. Jesus said, they're not doctrine. Let me me tell you what doctrine is. Mercy. Love. Grace. Your hand-washing thing, says Jesus, it's right here in my Bible, your hand-washing thing drives me nuts. This is what Brittany read. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. One of the people I read this week said this, while most of the religious community was preoccupied with what would defile and hurt the body, Jesus here is more concerned with what comes out of our bodies that can defile and hurt the world. Wish I could claim that, but that was really good. Simon Peter, who is, seems like he's always Simon Peter, right, says to Jesus, can you unpack this a bit? Can you explain this to me? And Jesus says, really? You, you still don't get it? Okay, here we go. Peter, and this is kind of crude in the Bible, do you not know that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and then goes out into the sewer, if you know what I mean? But what comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart, which was, for the ancient mind, the center of your person. The heart is who you really are, the ancient Jew. What you say is a reflection of what exists inside of you. What you say, the pronouncements, the judgments that you would make, is representative of what is happening inside of you at the time. Jesus is trying to explain to Peter. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But y'all, Jesus says it right here. Eating with unwashed hands, I'm not concerned about. 
Are you upset yet? Are you yet upset at Jesus? <laughs> because if you're not, you're going to be, <laughs> right? Jesus is saying, look, what you say demonstrates where your heart is. And now Jesus will fall victim to his own words. Verse 21. So Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Little background information here. Jesus is leaving uh, Jewish territory and going into Gentile territory. In other words, Jesus is going from where all the people are Jewish to going to where all the people are not Jewish. They operate from a, a different system of belief. They make their decisions differently. They define success differently. They worship other gods. It's not bad enough that Jesus is going to Gentile territory. He's going to Canaanite territory. Now, that's a loaded term. For ages and ages and ages, the Canaanites have hated the Jews, and the Jews have hated the Canaanites. And some of that is because they worship so differently. The Canaanites worship gods who weren't. And the Jewish folks worship the God who is. And so the Jews found it necessary to demean and denigrate, denigrate the Canaanites whenever they had opportunity. Jesus was raised in this tradition of disliking, not believing in these Canaanites who can really only fake it, but most of the time they're just oriented the wrong way. Jesus was raised there. This is where Jesus is walking around in a place that a, a Jewish person might have considered not just dangerous, but unclean, impure. But this is where Jesus and the disciples are walking around, no doubt, with their Jewish guards up, like you would. Because y'all, Gentiles, like us, are dangerous. Just then, a Canaanite woman, oh, y'all, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And beyond that, she said, son of David. Before we get to the request, she has studied. She probably studied the newspapers. She's heard these stories about this person who fits some sort of a pattern, of a messianic pattern of some kind. She's heard about this Jesus, and, and part of what you hear about this Jesus is that this Jesus does really cool, amazing, miraculous sorts of things, like heal people, like deliver people from possession, from the torment of a demon. This mom was a lot of things, right? This was a Canaanite woman. This was a desperate woman. Most of all, this was a desperate mom. And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of moms like this who will do anything if it helps her kid. And so she goes looking to Jesus for mercy. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. I get your story. I get the whole story. I get who it is that you're supposed to be in your chapter of the story. I'm going to call you son of David, which no Canaanite woman would have ever said unless she'd studied. Have mercy my daughter is tormented by a demon, and I believe that you are just divine enough to do the work. Y'all, let me, let me say this for the second time. I'll probably say it several times. Mercy is the tangible expression of the love and grace of God. If you live your life according to the mantra, and I hope you do, God's mind about you is made up, help me here, and the news is, if it does not 
eventuate in mercy, you don't get it yet. This is not a love that you are meant to hoard. It is a love that you are meant to reflect. And if you are not merciful, you aren't reflecting the love that's already made up its mind about you. Jesus. Mercy is the way God has determined that God would go about being God. And you know what? We see it in other places, even here in the book. Jesus gets it. There is nothing more important within the life of the religious person than the opportunity and the obligation to demonstrate and embody the mercy of God. Jesus says it twice, quoting Hosea. I desire mercy above sacrifice. I desire mercy not sacrifice. What do I want to see from you, Christian people? What do I want to see from you, believing people? Is it attention to the detail of the rules? Is that the way that you're going to qualify people to be a part of us? Jesus says, no. Here's what I want you to do to qualify people to be a part of us. Be the extension of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And people, it can't be less than that. And all God's people really ought to say, if mercy doesn't mark your life, here's the thing. You don't understand how it is that God feels about you yet. People who are shown mercy, show mercy. People who are just wise enough to look in the mirror and know what it is that God is choosing, <laughs> know that God shows mercy. And those people show mercy. And she knows it. She knows the God of this story. She knows, having studied, having called him both Lord and Son of David, she knows that this is how this God goes about being God. She knows that mercy is this God's calling card. And she also knows that the people of God are called and embodied, are, are, and then resourced and equipped to embody the mercy of God. So she comes to Jesus, the person of God, saying, I hope I can get some of that mercy today. Verse 23, but Jesus did not answer her at all. His disciples took a cue from his silence and said, Jesus, she is a nuisance and she's Canaanite. Get rid of her. I'm again disappointed in the disciples. Anybody else? But Jesus, perhaps taking a cue from them, verse 24 says to her, look, lady, I know my role in this chapter of this story. I'm about the reform movement. Yes, eventually, eventually this story comes around and it benefits all the people. As God dreamed in front of Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. Through you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. But those people have kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit, and so Jesus is saying, I understand myself to be the embodiment of the reform effort, and I would really love to help you right now, but I can't because I'm busy trying to help the people of God remember who they are as the people of God. <laughs> he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep 
of the house of Israel. But then, knowing the story, she came and knelt before him, saying, another powerful three-word prayer. Lord, help me. It's like the future, Jesus, has come rushing into the present. Jesus tries to explain to her, look, this is what I'm doing, and for that reason, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Oh, Jesus. And she said, yeah, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She doesn't quarrel with Jesus and his place in the story. She doesn't quarrel with the reality that Jesus is, in fact, a part of a reform movement. She doesn't even quarrel with the place that Jesus put her. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and Jesus with God and man. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is growing in wisdom and stature favor with God and man. She knows how this story is supposed to go. The woman is willing to take the leftovers. Probably not an accident that just a chapter before, there were lots of people who were fed, lots of people who were fed. The kingdom came to bear in that moment, and 5,000 men, and maybe closer to 20,000 people were fed, and there were 12 basketfuls left over. She's saying, "I, I get it, I get it. But I think if I could just get some leftover, I'll take whatever I can get. N.T. Wright says it like this, the disciples, perhaps Jesus himself, are not yet ready for Calvary, but this foreign woman is already insisting upon Easter. <laughs> yeah. Here's what she believes, you ready? She believes that the gospel is good news and all God's people said. And she believes that the gospel is good news for everybody. She believes that the gospel is good news for the people that the religious people were leaving out because they were them. And Jesus gets it. Verse 28, then Jesus answered her, woman, whoa. <laughs> great is your faith. Her, her faith is great. She did not say like Peter did last chapter, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, tell me to come to you. She didn't say that. If she had, she would not be a woman of great faith. What she said was, I know who you are. I know who this God is. I know what the story is. This can work right here and right now. Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The woman knew the best parts. 
of the giant narrative. She knew that the mercy of God would be on full display, and she knew that the chosen people of God would be the mediators of this mercy and grace, and she lived in great hope and expectation that the mediated mercy of God would finally reach her and her daughter. The thing is, she didn't have to wait anymore. The future has come rushing into the present. And it's almost like this shifted Jesus' understanding, but also his trajectory. Because listen to this in verse 29, after this. After Jesus left that place, he passed along the Sea of Galilee and went up into the mountain where he sat down. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others. They put, him at his, they put them at his feet, and he cured them so that the crowd was amazed. But what they, when they saw that the mute speaking, when they saw the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and listen, in this line, and they praised the God of Israel. There's no reason to put that line in there, the God of Israel, unless you're amongst people who wouldn't otherwise believe the God of Israel. They would be worshiping other gods. But Jesus seemingly goes amongst these Gentile people because Jesus now understands, okay, tomorrow is today. Tomorrow is today, and it's time for us to open the gates and open the doors of this whole story. It's time to put the mercy of God on full display to anyone who needs it, and not just the religious people, not just the Israelites. The mercy of God will be on full display to anyone who has a pain, an ache, a tragedy, an illness, a disease. And again, all God's people said... Then Jesus looks up again to a crowd that I believe is a Gentile crowd, perhaps a Canaanite crowd. He looks up and he says, these folks have been around for three days without having eaten. The disciples again, well, maybe Jesus, you should send them to a drive-through somewhere. Jesus says, no, I think I'm supposed to feed everybody. I think I understand now that I'm supposed to feed everybody. I think I understand now that mercy, if it doesn't start with mercy, then it's not of God. And so Jesus fed them all. This time, 4,000 men were fed besides women and children. One of the other people I read this week said, and just like that, The gospel is going to the dogs. Perhaps because a Canaanite woman needed some mercy and dared to pray the prayer. Did you know that by virtue of being a part of Oklahoma City First Church that you actually operate two schools on the other side of the world? This first school, I'm going to tell you four stories over the course of the next four months. This, this first story I'm going to tell you is about Kenyama. The Kenyama school is a school of 1,200 students, 1,200 students, so many students that they actually are in two sessions every day. That is my friend J.R. Emmerich. And uh, there in front of the sign is a Nazarene school. It is for this is in Lusaka, but, it, but it's, it, though Lusaka is a first world city, like so many different first world cities, it has some really poverty stricken areas, and this is a poverty stricken area because these kids, most of them, I think, I remember her saying, JR, most of these kids are double orphans. 
AIDS disease has taken most of these kids. The prohibitive majority are double orphans, so they're living with somebody else. They are all poor. So they don't have the money to go to a state-sponsored school. And if they didn't have the Kenyama Community School, these kids would have no education at all. And so they're getting into rooms 80 and 90 at a time, and some very talented teachers like Rose right there standing with, with JR, they are giving themselves. And when you ask them, why are you doing this? You could make more money somewhere else. Rose said to us, because who's going to do it if I don't? <laughs> a few of us went into every classroom in uh, Pastor Debbie, as she is referred to throughout Zambia. Pastor Debbie would walk in, and she would say to every class, Good morning, class. And they would all say in unison, good morning, madam. <laughs> and then we would ask the same questions. What's your favorite subject? And it was all over the map. And then we'd ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was all the same things that you would hear in your local elementary school room. Doctors, nurses, soldiers. By the way, soldiers in Zambia have never fought. Attorneys, teachers, even had a couple of pastors in there. They were really smart kids, those pastors. That's our school, y'all. Do you know what they need from us? Anybody want to guess, given what we've heard today? Mercy. On the fourth Sunday of every month, I and the team, we're going to tell a different story. We've got four core stories that we want to tell you. This is the first story. On the fourth Sunday, so next Sunday of every month, we're going to take a special offering. You know we don't pass the plates for tithes and offerings anymore, and we reserve the passing of the plate for special offerings. And, and here's what we're going to do next week. They are only up through grade seven because it's all they have space for. It's all that they have really have um, the infrastructure for. But if we can get them $2,500, which is, done the math, I've looked it up, that's 50 families at $50, and Kelly and I are good for one of those $50 pledges. So 50 families at $50 a piece can move this school all the way up through ninth grade, which is just about unheard of in a community school, and it will make a tangible difference in the quality of life in that area, especially for all of those kids. Next week, man, I just need 50 family units who will help us with $50, and it will rapidly change the world in that part of town. You don't know it, but you've already put in a septic system. You don't know it, but you already put a wall around this school, because if you don't put a wall around your property when somebody else builds on it, the government says, well, they built the building on it. So you've already put a wall around it, and you helped engineer all of that, so when the septic system may malfunction or overflow, it doesn't route all of that contaminating stuff all over the school. You already helped do all of that. You are helping to pay the teachers, too, 2,500 changes the world and will be expression, an expression of the mercy of God mediated by the people of God for people that much of the world would refer to as dogs, less human than us in our circles. But if they're dogs, we're dogs. Everybody get that? Turns out, as I happily wear the label of dog with them, turns out the gospel is for dogs too. 
So we will have an opportunity to demonstrate some mercy. Listen to this. If we claim to know God, but we don't know God first and foremost as a God of love, grace, and mercy, we don't know God. If we claim to know God and then don't make adequate attempt to embody this mercy as an extension of the mercy of God, then we don't know God and we are spinning our wheels and wasting our time here. Let me ask you, have you ever seen the people of God behave in unmerciful ways? I think this is a reliable rule of thumb. God is on display where mercy is on display. And the people of God are embodying the God of Israel when the people of God are putting mercy on display. And that counts even when the objects of our mercy are not these beautiful kids with, I don't know why, but they have perfect teeth. But that mercy must be on display as it has to do with our enemies and our opposites and our irritants as well. I mean, I think I'm quoting Jesus when I say this. When you love those who love you, okay, great. And if you greet only your brothers and your sisters, what are you doing more than the others that we could still put in the pagan category, Canaanite category? Do you know when the people of God are brought into uh, the most clear, special relief? It's when you and I are in a position to show mercy to our enemies and our opposites and our irritants. Can I tell you something? I don't like that any more than you do. You know what I want to do with my enemies, opposites, and irritants? I want to come out victorious. But there's a real sense in which if I insist on my interpretation or my definition of success, like Simon Peter, that results in loss, not victory. So right before you post, remember you were called to be people of mercy. So John, we should just stay silent? No, 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 no. I, that's not what I'm saying at all. I think silence, I, I agree with Dr. King. Silence becomes an accomplice to oppression. I'm saying, pick up the phone, make an appointment, go sit down, and as you are having a discussion over coffee, remember, if you aren't doing it mercifully, then you're not doing it right. But make the call, man. Anybody else in the room tired of people who are Facebook tough? Go show some real Christian strength and sit down with somebody. If you can't sit down with them, make a call. But be Christian as you disagree 
Christian life. Be people of mercy because my enemies and opposites and irritants and your enemies and opposites and irritants are just as dear to God as they are. And let me tell you something. They are dear to God. One more thing about Africa. If you feel like faith is a stretch for you right now, if it's, if it's hard for you to find God, you can find God in Africa. God is lurking about in the classrooms in Kenyama. Good news is that same God can be seen here as long as you intend to see the God of mercy. Unclench your fists, people, and receive the grace and the mercy of God. If you're helping us today, please come and help us set this table. Heavenly Father, as they are coming, would you bless these elements that we will receive with unclenched fists As we receive these elements, God, would you help us to, to see how it is that you are made more and more present as we are taken in again into this entire large story with a capital S where you lead with mercy, you lead with grace, you lead with this non-scorekeeping love. May we understand ourselves first and foremost today as we approach the table with unclenched fists, with open hands. May we understand ourselves as people who not only are getting mercy, but people who need mercy. So in a moment, I'm going to do just that. I'm going to invite you to this table. I'm going to ask you to exit your pew to your left. And to come forward with your hands open, your fists unclenched, <laughs> to receive these gifts of grace and mercy. As you approach somebody holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece, press it into your hand, and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Here's what you should hear in that moment. This is the tangibility of mercy. Don't eat it just yet, though. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. The person's right there with the cup will say, as you dip it in, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. But you also should hear it like this. Here again, another tangible evidence of the mercy of God, and that's the only reason I'm alive today, because of the mercy of God. And then take into your body the tangibility of mercy that you and I would become the bread taken blessed, broken, and given. John, I don't know if I qualify to be up there at that table. Well, maybe not. Here's what you need to know. If you know you need this grace, then you qualify. If you have arrived and are perfect, you probably don't qualify. <laughs> but your pastor knows that I need this grace. So all of you who, like me, understand that you need this grace, you're welcome today and every week at this table you don't know what I did this morning. I don't have to know. You'll probably tell me anyway. But I don't have to know. 
Mercy is waiting on you here. Now, all are invited, but none are compelled. It's mercy. It's mercy. If you don't want to participate, the merciful God says, that's okay. I'll invite you next week. And then the next week. And then the next week, because I think God thinks, eventually, mercy's going to get you. Mercy will get you. You may want to make a special trip down here and dip your fingers into this bowl of water meant to help you remember the moment of your baptism when you were brought in, in the most official of ways, you were brought into this story of this people who have a story. (laughs) May these waters remind you that we are a people of mercy. Especially as you go back to your classroom tomorrow. Especially as you go back to the boardroom tomorrow the operating room tomorrow, the courtroom tomorrow, especially as you go home today. We extend the mercy of God. You may want to make a trip, a special trip down to one of these side padded altars. If you do, somebody will meet you there and pray a prayer for healing You can come for physical, emotional, mental, familial healing. We will pray that prayer for you there. You can come to one of these mourner's benches up front, and we won't assume anything, but we will at some point let you know that you're not alone. The touch on the back, the neck, the shoulder, or you can circle right back around. But please, if you circle right back around, do remain in the spirit of prayer. And here's a prayer I think you ought to pray. Lord, have mercy. You can take it from there. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of this bread, including today, remember me. Same way later he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it, including today, remember me, the God of all mercy. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of mercy. Receive these gifts of God meant to nourish and resource the people of God.